Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, last week when we began our sermon series in the book of Romans, started off with some pretty bad news, really. It tells us that that God has made himself known. Now that sounds like good news, doesn't it? He said that through creation and through our very nature, our makeup, he says that we can conclude that God exists, that he is powerful and that he is personal, okay? He can be known that he's there. And so the problem was not for people whether or not they could know that God exists. He says the problem there, he says that when they knew this truth, what did they do? They pushed back against it. They suppressed it. They pushed it down and out of the way so they didn't have to deal with it because they wanted to live the way they wanted to live. Now, in one sense, it's really easy for us to think about it. Oh, yeah, those people did that. (laughs) But you know that the reality is, is that every one of us, that's where we started Okay, we, the Bible tells us that from the moment we were conceived that there was a, a selfish nature there, a sinful nature, a nature that desires to, to be our own Lord. And, and of course, obviously, in, in, in the womb, we didn't sin, and we didn't sin when we were little babies. But for every one of us, there came a point in time when all of a sudden we knew that there's somebody to answer to here, and I don't want to. And we went our own way and did our own thing. Now, the problem with that is is that as you read on down in chapter one last week we saw, he says, when we do that, when human beings do this, they know there's a God, but they push back and they push it down. They don't don't want to go there because they want to run their own lives, that um, we become futile in our thinking. So what ought to be good, logical, reason, sound thinking that leads us to a good place becomes twisted and messed up. And we think we're thinking right, but we aren't. And it's futile. It just doesn't do what it needs to do. And then he says, and our foolish hearts became darkened. Boy, that's that's really bad. Okay? Maybe the words don't sound bad, but the condition of having a darkened heart is a really bad place to be. And when we find ourselves with that, he went on, he says, and then thinking that they were wise, thinking that we were wise, we actually became more and more foolish. Living our own way, doing our own thing. Now thankfully, Probably most of us here today, if not all of us, came to a realization of that at some point. God shined the light in enough that we could see that we had sinned and we were headed in the wrong direction, that we were in the dark and we needed to be saved and we, we you know, believed that Jesus died for our sins and rose again and we trusted him as Savior. That's really good news. And, and it has the potential to change the trajectory of our lives. And I say potential because... It's not just unsaved people who go their own way in life. Sometimes Christians go their own way as well. 
And when we go our own way, we may be saved, but when we go our own way, our thoughts start to become futile. Our hearts get some darkness in them. And we think we're thinking right, but we're actually thinking wrong. And we get into worse and worse situations. And so the Apostle Paul talks about this and he says, and here's where it leads to in society. And he's re-described this whole culture. Remember he talked about the, the sins and the extreme sins that were there. And then he had three verses where he listed 22 different sins. He says, this is where it goes in a culture. And let me say to you, our culture is there today. Our culture is definitely there today. Our culture shows all of the marks of what Paul was talking about. But I don't have to persuade you of that, do I? What I want to challenge you about today is this, that you and I as Christians, maybe not to the extremes, but we can go the same way and end up with the same kinds of problems in our lives. And there's something that underlies all of this. There's an issue that needs to be addressed that lies under this for both the unsaved person and the saved person. What is it? What is it that we need to, to be a reality in our lives? What do we need to experience? What needs to happen for us to not have darkened hearts and for us not to, to be futile in our thoughts and, and thinking we're wise but actually being foolish? What, what's underlying it? What's going on? What's the cause? Well, the Apostle Paul's gonna hint at that in chapter two of Romans. So let's go to Romans chapter two. It's a pretty strong hint. Romans chapter two, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you to pick up one of the ones under the chairs there and turn to page 1294 and follow along with us. Page 1294. Now, remember that uh, Paul, one of the main reasons Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons he's writing is because, you remember, the Jewish Christians weren't getting along with the Gentile Christians? Remember that? The Jewish Christians who had all this religious heritage and a way of living and following all these rules, outward appearance, all sorts of things uh, were, had come to Christ because they knew that Jesus was their Messiah. The Gentile believers who, man, they were living, used to live in however they wanted to live and and with the exception of sin, they were still pretty much living that way, you know, very free in their approach to life and not having all those rules and regulations and outward things. And, and the Jewish Christians kind of were like, well, we're the real Christians here because we've already believed in God and, and look, we live this way and we have the law of God and we follow it and, and those Gentiles, look at them. And the Gentiles are kind of looking at the Jewish believers and saying, well, whatever, you know. And the, Jewish, uh, the Gentile believers were becoming more in number because more and more of them were coming to Christ. And as a result, some of them were beginning to have influential roles. We got this struggle between these two groups. And you remember we talked about last week that Paul, to help resolve this issue, goes to the gospel and begins explaining the gospel. He's going to take five chapters to do that. Because he wants them to get to the place where they see that, guess what? Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And can I just stop and make a comment here? Because I realize that after the first service, having a conversation with somebody. We keep talking about Jews, Jews, Jews. We're not talking about um, saying anything negative about Jewish people. or anything. That's not the point. 
if you want to help you think, think of Jewish people as very religious people before they came to Christ, okay? You know, and how they live. So just think of that. But so here we have the, the Jewish people, the, the very religious people, and the Gentiles who were not religious at all with respect to what was true and right, both are lost before God. And that's where he starts showing us. And then the Jewish believer and the Gentile believer both need to be saved. And the Jewish believer and the Gentile have to be saved the same way by coming to Christ. And the Jewish and the Gentile believer live the Christian life the same way with coming to know Christ and letting that change life. So he's gonna establish very clearly that we're all in the same boat and therefore we ought not to be divided over these things. But he's really gonna drive home and hammer home this fact that we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble apart from the great working of God. And so here in chapter two, we aren't gonna look at the whole, every verse in here, uh, but I, I want to get to those places where we see, I think this underlying issue that we have to address if we want to be free from that darkness that steers us astray. Chapter two, verse one, he says, therefore, you are inexcusable, oh man. And I'm stop starting on you today. I apologize for that. But you remember, he'd come down, he says, when we live this way, when a culture lives this way, when you live this way, you get down and, and it really brings you to a bad place. The, the long list of sins, the ugliness of where it takes you. And what we envision here is someone saying, well, yeah, I'm glad I'm not like that. Those guys are like that, but I'm not like that. Whether it was the Jewish Christian saying it or the Gentile Christian saying it, it didn't matter. We aren't like that. And so Paul takes him up on that. Chapter two, verse one. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. Judging. Ooh. One of the biggest statements in our culture today is what? Don't judge me. You can't judge me. Know that when God talks about that, he is not talking about the fact if you can look at something and you can look at the word of God and compare them and say, oh, those don't match. <laughs> so this is wrong because God says so. The kind of judging that, that he's going after here and which Jesus talks about elsewhere is that judging where I say, I'm better than you. You have that problem, I don't. Okay, and that's what he's talking about here. It says, oh man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we might say, what do you mean? I look at that list, I'm not filled with sexual immorality and covetousness and I haven't murdered anybody and I'm, I'm not evil-minded, I don't hate God. I, on and on the list, okay? But look at verse 31. Ray's saying, those of you who judge, if nothing else, you're guilty of this. Verse 31, being undiscerning, you're proving yourself untrustworthy, you are being unloving, you are being unforgiving, you are being unmerciful, because they're judgmental. Do you see that? You're guilty of the same list. Your sins are on the same list. Now he's, he's, boy, all of a sudden he's getting in their face, isn't he? Before it was easy, oh yeah, look at culture, look what they're like, boom, boom, boom. And he says, by the way, you, it's you. That kind of reminds me in the Old Testament when Nathan came to David and said, it's you. So let's read on. 
But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? And what's the answer? You're not going to escape any more than anybody else is. Verse four, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Okay, yeah, you, you, maybe you aren't experiencing all that they've experienced and, and some of the blessings God has brought into your life. Why has God blessed you? What's he say, why did God bless you? Why did he give you, let you experience his goodness? Because he wants you what? To turn to him. To repent, see, and turn to him. It's interesting to me, just an observation here on human nature. You know how when bad things happen in life, hard things happen in life, and they do, that's when people are likely to say, where was God when all this was happening? Right? Talks about the goodness of God here. Have you experienced any goodness of God? Any blessings in your life? Just the, 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 sometimes the blessing of the world in which we live and all. Great goodness. I have never heard anybody say, well, where was God when all these good things were happening? Well, why didn't we say that? I think it shows something about our nature, that we really do think it's all about us by nature. And so therefore we expect that it should only be good and when God is good to us, well, we deserved it, we expected it anyway. That sounds like a little bit of a darkened heart to me. All right, verse number five. He says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so here's where he gives us this first hint of what is really underneath all of this problem. He talks about a hard and an impenitent heart or a hard and unrepentant heart. A heart that's hard to God, a heart that's hard toward people, a heart that's not turning away from self to God. It's heart disease, you might say. That's the underlying problem that we all have. We're all infected with heart disease. And when we get saved, yes, God begins a healing work in our lives, but there's still the ravages of heart disease there that have to be healed and have to be changed. But what I want you to see is this. If this is at the root of the problem, get this. A right relationship with God always starts in your heart. A right relationship with God always starts in your heart. And this is true for everybody, okay? It's true for the person who has never received Christ as Savior. You know, they, they haven't un, either haven't understood the truth yet fully, or they have and they just haven't responded. But, that person needs to get connected with, with God inside to come to Christ, right? right? It's also true for the person who's a fairly new Christian is learning how to live and how to have a right relationship with God. And what does it mean? How do I live that out? It's just as true for that person. That relationship, that right relationship is gonna start in the heart. 
And it's true for people like me who've been saved over 40 years now. Just as true for me. When I'm saying, I want to, I really want to live in right relationship with you, God, and with people I want to. Even for me, it starts in my heart. Again and again and again and again and again. We have to keep going back to the heart. And this is true because, as I already mentioned, from the time we were conceived, we, we, we had this selfish nature, a nature that wanted to do our own thing, which the Bible calls sin. And, and so we lived that way. And we reached that point where we, we decided we were going to live this way, even though we knew it wasn't right. And as a result, we have hearts that are selfish. Hearts that love me more than anybody else. I don't mean your heart loves me more than anybody else, right? Your heart loves you more than anybody else. Your heart, you have a tendency to do this when there's people in your life who irritate you. You guys don't have anybody like that, do you? Anybody in your life that makes you go, and they're probably on their side going, and you're going back and forth. And sometimes you don't, it's not with words. It's this whole ear to, and we do that. We get to where, you know what? You're not treating me right. I'm not being properly treated. I'm not being properly respected. I'm not being properly loved. You aren't giving me enough time. You aren't giving me enough attention. You aren't giving me enough respect, whatever. And our hearts get, why? Because our hearts have this tendency to, to think life is about me. And then sometimes people do things that hurt us. And, and we feel this pain and we're so offended and, and hurt and desperate. And, and then what we do is we, we just build a nice little wall. I'm, I'm walling you out. I'm, it's not too high. I can point over the top at you. But I'm building this wall. And we build that wall with God too. It, it's in our hearts that we choose to be fearful. It's in our hearts that we choose to trust. It's in our hearts what we decide to love. And so see, it, it, it's crucial. In fact, it's so crucial, 900 years before this, Solomon wrote um, in the book of Proverbs, and he said this, that guard your heart above all else. Go ahead and put that up if you would, Dan. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Everything has a heart connection. It either comes out of your heart or it's coming to your heart, it's going through your heart. Everything you experience in life has a heart connection. And so if we are gonna have a right relationship with God and then everything else that that means, it has to start with your heart. Now, let me throw out a thought to you. I might say that if you're not gonna start with your heart, you might as well not even start. If you're not gonna start with your heart, you might as well not even start. Do you think that's true? Oh no, Walt's asking us a trick question. I mean, isn't there this sense that sometimes you say you're gonna fake it till you make it because you know you ought to do something and you keep, you, you try and all. Is this true or not? If you, if you don't start with your heart, you might as well not start. Well, here's the thing. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to answer that question for you today. I'm going to leave it for you to think about. And in your life groups, you'll be discussing that. That's one of the things you'll be discussing. 
But we know for sure that we need our hearts to be changed. <laughs> we need our hearts to be changed. Wherever we're at in this spectrum of, of unsaved all the way to saved for years, we still need to have our hearts changed. And so let's go in here in verse, uh, back into this passage of scripture. Uh, in verses six through 10, he talks about the difference in people who have had their hearts changed and those who haven't and where that, that takes them in eternity. Let's pick up in verse number 11. For there is no partiality with God. Have you ever uh, experienced something negative because somebody else was the favorite? Do you know what I mean? Somebody got special treatment and you didn't and didn't seem right. Maybe you're the recipient of the special treatment. But when it says, when it comes to having a right relationship with God, God is, shows no partiality. We either have a right, right relationship with God his way or we don't. Doesn't matter, in this case, if you were a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, God's not showing any favoritism. You gotta come the same way because we all come with the same problems. So let's read on now. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law, talking about the Gentiles, will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law, talking about the Jewish people, will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. And the Jewish believers were saying, well, we have the law and we live by the law. They don't have the law. And, and Paul says, well, wait a minute. If they do what's right, it's just like they had the law and followed the law, right? Because they did what was right. So having the law is no, doesn't make you right with God doing what's right, okay? Now, so I don't want you to see. He says, when, when people do that, he says, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. But right there in verse 15, he says that when people do, people who don't know God, when people who don't know the word of God do what's right, they show something. They show the fact that God has written his law in their hearts. All right, now listen. When we talk about the law of God being written in somebody's heart, we're not talking about all the details of the Bible. What we're talking about is this idea that there's a right and wrong. God has written that into the heart of every person. Every culture of the world, go to those cultures, find out what they believe, they all believe something's right and something's wrong. Now, they don't all agree on what's right and what's wrong, but they all agree there's something right and there's something wrong because God made them that way. He wrote his law in their hearts that there's a right and wrong. Now add that to the fact that they can know that there is a God and he is powerful and he is personal and I have this struggle with right and wrong in my life And God can be known. God can use that. That's his grace showing us that there's a problem. Now, God did that in the heart because he wants us to experience a struggle in our hearts. And the reason he does that is because he wants us to see that they need to be changed and that God wants to change your heart. 
Here you are struggling with right and wrong and you don't know what's up. You know there's a God and, or maybe you know the gospel, but you, what you say, I, I need my heart changed. Well, God wants to change your heart. That is really, really good news. And your heart needs to be changed. I already said that. I'm not going to go back over that. But you can't change your heart on your own. God has to work for your heart to be changed. And listen, when God changes your heart, it's always for your good. It's always for your good. For some reason or other, we human beings, probably because of the natural condition of our hearts, we tend to think that, well, wait a minute. If I let God change my heart, that, that's going to mean this, that, and the other thing, and I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. No, when God changes your heart, it's always for good. Well, it might mean I have to give up some things. Yeah, it might mean that, but it's going to be a good thing in your life. Well, if I do that, it might cause these ripples and these problems. Yeah, but it's going to be a good thing in your life. How do we know that? I mean, we're talking about the one who loved us so much, he sent his son into the world, and died for us. Well, but I don't think you know what you're doing when it comes to my heart, God. <laughs> We're crazy when we think that way. That's, by the way, that's futile thinking, darkened heart kind of thinking. So, when God changes your heart, it's always for good because he gives you a heart that's more like his, a heart that matches his. And we're gonna talk about that just a little bit more here. Now, the situation in Rome was that these people were not getting along. Their relationships were messed up because uh, they were in each other a lot. Um, I want you to understand this, that the condition of your heart determines the condition of your relationships. When we are having in our relationships, something is wrong in our hearts. Do you know that you can be right about the facts and wrong in your heart? Right? Well, they did this, this, uh, you, you know, you might be 100% wrong, uh, right, but this in your heart is not right. And so we need God to change our hearts there. Change our hearts in relationship to each other. And, and let's think, our relationship with God. When God changes our hearts, we are able to love him. That's the first and great commandment. Love God. Love him with your whole being. And, and so God has to change our hearts for us to do that. And so our relationship with God improves. Well, second commandment like that is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus took that farther and says, love your neighbor, love each other the way I've loved you. Okay. So when God changes our heart and we let him change our heart, then we can love each other. It becomes different. Because here's what's happened. And think right now that the, the people in your life, whether it's in the past or whether it's now, that, you know, you just have a difficult relationship with it and you have tension because of it or you're angry because of it or you're de depressed because of it or, or a combination of all those and, and you're trying to figure out how do I deal with this. Let me tell you what needs to happen. You have to, before God, say, God, I need a heart change here. I need to change my heart toward this person. Because when I do that, when I actually say, okay, I'm going to change my heart towards this and let God change it, no longer is it just all about me. God has changed my heart. It's not just about me anymore. It's also about them. And, 
And rather than, you know, getting irritated and building walls and pointing over the wall and all that, instead, no, we take the walls down and, and we open ourselves up. Because that's the heart of God, isn't it? Did he open his heart toward you? And, and when we let God work in our lives in this way, what happens is that uh, we do our best to remove every obstacle we can between us and this other person. Now, we can't make them change, right? But what happens is now they're going, and I'm going, hey, I'm not bothered by this anymore. You know what I find when I, when I sit back down and say, okay, wait a minute, God, my heart's not right in this situation, I let it get hard, right, I get hurt a whole lot less. And if you're always getting hurt by someone, it tells you that your heart is probably not right because you're thinking about you and how important I am and how I don't deserve this and how much this hurts and on and on it goes. And when you let God change your heart, it's, it's not about that anymore. And, and when God changes your heart, he makes your heart more like his, more like his. And what that means in a relationship is now you are safe. I'm in a, if I'm in a relationship with someone whose heart is softened toward God and toward me and open, that's a safe person. I, I can move toward that person, see? And so when you let that be you, you open up the doors. Now, they may not move towards you. That's not your responsibility. By the way, don't kid yourself. Don't go, well, I've changed. I've moved everything. I'm right, and now the problem's theirs. <laughs> What's that gonna, what are you demonstrating? A heart that's not in the right place. So it has to be real. But when it's real and you open up, you become a safe person, you do everything you can to remove any obstacles in these relationships that's on your side. That's what God did with you. Removed every obstacle from his side to a relationship with you. And so the condition of our hearts determine the condition of our relationships. And so we need God desperately to work in our hearts. And if your heart changes, your relationships will change. Well, let's, let's go on down to verses 28 and 29. The question is, so, all right, what do we do? What do we need? He says, verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. This is a huge thing that Paul is telling them. They grew up their whole lives having to be about the outside, how they lived, how they appeared. Circumcision being the right, you know, the religious right that identified Jewish males. All of this was about the outside. And he says, that's not what makes you a real Jew. He says, nor is circumcision, that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who was one inwardly in the heart. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so whether a person is unsaved and needs that miraculous work of God in their hearts when they, you know, he, he, he comes in and changes things, begins that change and moves them from death to life, or whether it's us as a Christians who still have parts of our hearts that are ugly, and, and sinful and dark, and, and, and we need God to, to cut that out, this idea of circumcision of the heart. We need God to work in our lives. This is what we need, and we can't do that on our own. 
So what do we do? Um, I try every week, and my wife, you thank my wife, she's such a good reminder. She, every week she says, well, that's all good, but what are you going to tell them that's practical? That's good. And I always try to come up with practical suggestions, things you can do, things you try. But the reality is that sometimes you come down to something, and the, the very most practical thing I can tell you is just sort of a spiritual thing. No formulas, no lists. Here's what you got to do. You got to put your heart in God's hands and then leave it there. You got to surrender your heart to God. And when I say put your heart in God's hands, I don't mean take it out, obviously. What I mean is let him put his hands around your heart and let him guide it. Let him shape it. Let him help you know what to love and what not to love. Let him change your heart. And so we ask, we say, okay, God, here's my heart. I put it in your hands. And what do we do? Okay, God's got his hands around our hearts and then we, something happens in our life and we go, right? And then we say, wait a minute, what am I doing? No, 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 God, I, come back. I, I want you, I want my heart to be in your hands here. And so I think it really comes down if you're gonna experience the change. You need, I call it a sit-down conversation, but it certainly doesn't have to be sit-down, but you need this, this conversation with God where you sit there and you go, okay, I surrender to you in this, Lord. I, my heart is yours. I, I give it to you. Wait, 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 not yet. Right? No, no, I, I do give it to you. But uh, uh, I do. I surrender my heart to you. And every time I try to take it back, would you work in my life so I surrender to you again? I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my heart towards you. I need you to change my heart towards people. I need you to change my heart towards me. I need you to change my heart towards what you've given me to do. I need you. So here it is. And surrender it. And what does that mean in your life? I don't know. But you be real in this. You be genuine, sincere. God, here is my heart. And he will change your heart. And it will be good. No more darkened, foolish heart. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of, of us Lord, being self-righteous and thinking we're better and you saying, no, no, we're not. And, and that may we have religious stuff that we count on or we compare ourselves to other people. So ugly things, Father, but thank you. You show us that the problem lies within our hearts and that you want to change it and that you will if we will yield our hearts to you. I pray that we'll do that. I pray whether people doing it right now or, or need a quiet time later to do it. But I pray, Father, you will keep after each of us until we sit down and settle this issue with you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you're planning to stay uh, around for the uh, kickoff meeting for Pine Car Derby Outreach in the fall, uh, that will start when, Matt? 15 minutes up here? Up front, up front. Five minutes here up front. You are dismissed.